Thanks, Matt. I took Matt's Trinity class, so I'm ready. <laughs> well, take your Bibles, open them. Would you do a couple places? Philippians chapter 2 and Ezra chapter 6. And while you're there, and while you're moving there and finding there, I just want to express my appreciation to you as a church family. I have been um, connected with Rocky Mountain now for over 14 years. Um, our church uh, just celebrated 14 years, Calvary Chapel Aurora. We just finished in December our 14-year anniversary, and uh, Rocky Mountain was one of the first churches that I had the privilege of developing a friendship and a relationship with. Eric and Amber were two of the uh, earliest folks that I met here uh, when I visited and came and taught here many, many years ago. So to see what God's doing now and to watch the ministry, Eric and Amber are very, very good friends of ours, Marie and I. And we appreciate the, the ministry and the service and the connection and the family that we have here. Um, before I get into the word, I do want to say on behalf of my family, uh, my wife Marie, who will be here tomorrow, my son Joshua, and also my daughter Caitlin, uh, we do want to express our appreciation to you. I know that many of you have been praying for us. It's been a rather difficult year for us. Um, difficult is an understatement. Um, our son Eddie uh, went home to be with the Lord about eight months ago. Uh, tragically and suddenly, and so we have, um, it's a matter of, it, it's, this is how cool things are. Um, Matt, uh, Pastor Matt mentioned Grace FM. Uh, Grace FM is a radio ministry that God allowed us as a church in Denver to purchase a full power FM radio station. It reaches from Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way south to Castle Rock uh, on a particular band in the Denver area, 89.7. But out of that was a burden and a vision to see Colorado covered uh, with radio. And recently, the reason we have the booth in the foyer is recently we just added a station here in Colorado Springs. It's 101.7. Um, it's not the strongest, and, and I know it could be stronger, but just be in prayer. Because it's very, very hard to get into radio in this city. Very expensive as well. And this was just a little open door that we needed to run in while we could. And so we grabbed it. And what we're hoping is, is that uh, we could trade up or something, you know, like we could use it and trade up or do something where we could get a stronger signal here. But it's good. It's a good beginning. Uh, and that's why we brought it here, because we really haven't done anything to uh, promote it in the springs. That's why we're giving out shirts and we want you to wear them. Like, don't, walk, don't even take a shower or nothing. Just wear them every day. <laughs> Let people know about the station. Pastors like Bob Coy, Greg Laurie, Chuck Smith are on the station uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with the exception of Saturdays is a different blend of music. But here's my point. My point is this. One day, I don't know why, but I've been in the car at 3 o'clock uh, more often than not. And at 3 o'clock, Pastor Eric is on. Uh, and he's been a supporter of the ministry. You guys have been a supporter of the radio station from day one. Uh, we went, went on the air three years ago. And not too long ago, I don't know, I don't know if it was a two, three weeks ago, uh, I just happened to turn the radio on, three o'clock, Pastor Eric is there. And wouldn't you know it, you know what Eric's doing? He's praying for me and my wife by name during one of the services here. Uh, probably months ago when it was closer to the... Uh, the situation in a, in a harder, and, and so it's just amazing how God will intertwine us together uh, and use a ministry like that, um, and so glad to be here. How's that? Amen. You guys find the places? <clears throat> All right, let's pray, see what God has for us. I know he has a word. Uh, you're here by appointment. Uh, Pastor Eric will be back. 
Uh, and you'll be blessed if you're visiting for the first time. You're going to love Eric and you're going to love the ministry here. It's a wonderful church family. Uh, so stick with me for a while and Eric will be back, all right? Lord, we thank you for the privilege of, of knowing that you love us and you care for us and you're for us, not against us. You promise never to leave or forsake us or abandon or turn your back upon us, Lord. And as we face various things, great, great things, good things, hard things, difficult things, the reality is that you remain the same. And so God, for those that might be thinking, even as the topic of our study is tonight, that how hard it is perhaps to trust God, to trust you, Lord, even when we don't see how we can, let the people and children of Israel be an encouragement to us that we might fully embrace your faithfulness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in Ezra right now, in, Acts, in Ezra chapter 6, we're in an incredible time of church history. Now, we're not going to get there first, so I want to walk you through. We're going to start in Philippians, we're going to get to Ezra, but you've got to understand that the time of the nation of Israel in this, this chapter of Ezra is an incredible time. It is going to be, this chapter ends with great celebration. There's going to be excitement. People are happy again. There's life back in the city of Jerusalem. There are families that have returned. The temple is rebuilt. People are starting to build their houses. The walls of the city will soon be rebuilt by another man by the name of Nehemiah that's going to come back and re help rebuild the walls. It's an exciting time, so encouraging, because we're learning a lesson in Ezra 6 that we're going to see laid out for us in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2, and it's simply this. What God has begun in your life, he's going to finish. What God has begun in your life, he's going to finish. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, I draw your attention to verse 12. I didn't even get there. I was so busy talking, I didn't even get there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul, he says, as he's writing to his church family in the city of Philippi, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So, verse 13, that it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains, now to have chains in Christ, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Does it sound encouraging to you? Does going to jail sound encouraging to you? Does being forgotten by your friends sound encouraging to you? Does being turned on and, and spoken evil of sound encouraging to you? Yes or no? Are you guys with me? It doesn't sound encouraging to me, but Paul writes as if, you know what? God used it, man. My chains. It's more than just, you know, some like a keychain. <laughs> my chains in Christ. I got my little keychain that says Christ on it. That's not what he's referring to here. This is, this, this little phrase, well, I, I bet you have a phrase, chains in Christ. I bet you could fill in the blanks for me. I bet you could tell me about your hardship or difficulty or the unknown. I'm sure that you could tell me how a season of your life is very difficult, how it wasn't fair, it was unjust. But he says, look, this has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Oh, how wonderful and how beautiful. Turn the page now. 
in Philippians. And notice as you're walking through, I, was, I just read to you chapter 1, now you're in chapter 2, verse 12. You're like, where is that? I've got a different Bible than you. That's where it is. <laughs> you're just thinking, who is that guy? I think the same thing many times. Chapter 2, verse 12. Maybe that, the Lord just wanted that verse for someone. Just so you know that your chains are in Christ. And the whole palace guard is going to be blessed. And the people that love the Lord, as they watch your life, they're going to be blessed. And ultimately, God's going to work things out in your life. So in verse 12 of chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, a lot of people stop there. And you'll come to a church service, I'll come to a church service and go, I, I don't have any problem working out my salvation. I'll work and I'll work. I want to serve the Lord. My life is dedicated to Jesus. He rescued me from the pit. He took my feet, put it on a solid rock. He redeemed and rescued the entirety of my life. When I read a scripture that says, go work, you know what I want to do? I will work. My life belongs to him. I'll go anywhere and do anything for Jesus. He's shown himself faithful over and over again. But you know, that's not the point Paul's making. Because it says in verse 13, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Mark that. Because sometimes I think we forget that it's God. It's God working things in our lives. We so easily forget that God's at work. We so easily forget that God is working. We so easily forget that he's working, well, in you right now. He's working in us. He's faithful to us. Jot it down in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12. It says, the hand of the Lord was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. I mean, isn't that incredible? That even back in Chronicles, God is showing us a relationship that he has with us. And he says this, I have put it upon you to do the right thing. For us now, we can say from a new covenant perspective, our relationship with Jesus, that God doesn't just have his hand upon us. He dwells in us so that we might obey. That's what Paul's saying here, that God is working in you. God is working in you. At the time of Ezra, Jerusalem lay in rubble. It, it was a destructive God. But, but, but when the rubble and the temple being destroyed and, and just you know, weeds and, and things that have just not had anybody pay attention to it. There haven't been people living there. You and I see rubble. God sees potential. That's what these guys that, that, there's all kinds of shows about it now, but these guys that flip houses and flip property, you know, when I look at that, I just like, that's, that looks like a lot of work that I can't do. But somebody that knows what they're doing just like sees that there's a lot of potential in that. There's, there's something to be done there. When it says for God that works in you, it's a message of love. I want you to see that. God working in you is because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants what's best in your life. He wants you to make progress. He created you and put you on the planet with a work that only you can uniquely accomplish. You, your life. You're not alone and you're not on your own. God reminds us that we're in this together. In verse 13, it says, for God who works. If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle that word works. 
It's the Greek word energio, E-N-E-R-G-I-O. It's the same, you know, it's a very familiar word to us because we get our English word, energy. It's God putting in us the very energy. He's working in us the very power to accomplish things in our life. All the load and the pressure in your life with Jesus is off of you because he's at work inside of you. You know, we don't always know what God's will is, and we don't always do what the will of God that we know, but we can take courage that God is going to show us, and he's going to continue to work in us as he is right now. Let me think of that, and let's pull back a second in here and say, this puts some perspective upon all of the pains and the setbacks that you experience in life. God is still at work, even when we don't understand or don't see And can I just encourage you, please, in your love relationship with Jesus, would you stop beating yourself up over your failures? You know, it's amazing because, like, it's easy for other people to beat us up over things, but we're often the biggest culprits as we examine our lives, and we want to go so much farther, and we want to attain so much more, whatever it might be, and when we stumble and when we fall, We don't need other people to beat us up. We do a good enough job ourselves. God made you to have and to to enjoy fellowship with him. So be careful not to beat yourself up because you're not living up to some standard. Because you see the stumbles and you seem to fall short so much. Because my God says, according to Paul, that he's working, he's doing two things. We don't have time to develop this, but you've got to understand it before we get to Ezra. It's foundational. What Paul is teaching us in Philippians is actually lived out in the children of Israel long before Paul was even born. This is the heart of God. This is the character and the nature of God. It's how he always has been. It's how he is now, and it's how he will be in the future. He's working two things, notice. Number one, to will. You see that in that verse, verse 13? He's working in you to will. That means that God is working in you right now to give you the right desires, like, you want to do something for God? I love that. When somebody comes to me and they have a great vision, uh, they say, Pastor, I think we need this. And I saw this over here. And my community needs this. And the school, my kids. And when they share their heart with me, many times I'll say, where do you think that desire came from? Like, the devil didn't give you a desire to help kids. The devil didn't give you a desire to reach your neighborhood. That, that wasn't inspired by the devil to go do something good for your in-laws. or for the, That's not from the devil. The Lord is at work in you. I want you to see that. Before we ever go and try to step out in faith somewhere, you've got to understand that that desire came from God and give him the glory for it. He's not only working in you to will, but notice he's also giving you the power to do. What a deal we have. He gives us new desires, new wants, new wishes. And then he gives you the power to accomplish them. It's so neat. The good news in all of this is that what God has begun, he's faithful to complete. In Philippians, you're already there. Go back a chapter to verse 6. In chapter 1, Paul's just opening up and he's just like so excited about this relationship he has with the church. And he says in verse 6, chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you Let's say this together. You ready? I'm going to read up to he who began a good work and then you pick it up from there. You ready? So he who has begun a good work in you till the day of Jesus Christ. So that came out of your lips. That was your word. You read it from your Bible. Man, 
God's still at work right now. You're listening to this on the radio, God's still at work. Somebody drop an MP3 on your email, God is still at work. You're flipping a CD. You guys remember what CDs are? <laughs> Putting a CD in that CD player. Five years from now, if the Lord hasn't returned, God's still at work. God's still at work. Even if they're listening, if you're listening to this right now in the middle of the great tribulation period, God's still at work. God's still at work for you and for me. Okay, you ready? Ezra chapter 6. What a time in the nation of Israel. What a beautiful time of God living out this verse. Or what he said, again, in Psalm 138, he said, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Or Romans chapter 4, it speaks of, of the faith and being of the faith of Abraham. And he says in Romans 4, verse 21, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That just gives me life when I read those. It just speaks life into my heart. You mean, God, you're not done with me? No, I'm not done with you. I mean, but God, don't you see and don't you know? And of course, <laughs> God's going, yeah, yeah, I do. And I'm not done. I'm working in your life. Pick up with me now, verse 13, Ezra chapter 6. So cool. Just a real snapshot, something to let you leave here today, just knowing totally that the Lord's still at work. Verse 13, Ezra 6. Let's all verify we're in the right chapter in our Bibles. (laughs) (laughs) Then Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar Bosnai, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, and they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, verse 15, the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Now, you have to follow along the first six chapters of Ezra because this group of people that went back with Ezra, were, they, they answered a call. They answered a call. Who wants to leave comfort and ease in Babylon? Who wants to leave everything that you've ever known? You see, they were in Babylon, the nation was, because of their disobedience. God brought judgment upon them. And so they went into, as the Babylonians came, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem just to, the, just to rubble. Just, it was gone. And took the people captive. Took them back to Babylon. And those of you that are Bible students, you know that Jeremiah, as he was prophesying to that group, said, you know what, guys? You're going to be here for a while. Just build houses and... And make the best of it because this is God's judgment upon us. And you know, they did. They did build houses. They started a life. They had kids. They started businesses. They, they began to, to embrace, unfortunately, the judgment of God and tried to make the best of it. And yet the time came when the judgment was over. The 70 years was completed. It was time to go home. But you know what? A couple million people in Babylon, they didn't want to go home. They liked it. This is all they knew. Next generation, this is all they knew. They liked Babylon. But when the call went out to go back, some did. A few thousand went back and said, you know, we believe it's, our, it's God's will for our lives to go back and help rebuild the city. 
It's God's will for our life to bring life back into the city. We don't even know how long it's going to take. We don't even know if it's going to be us or our kids or our grandkids. But Jerusalem must be inhabited. The temple must be rebuilt. And we're willing to lay our lives down for it. Man, I want to be the kind of man that hears the call of God and says, that, that's me. That I, I know, you know but, but it's so hard, I know. I, I remember when we were praying about moving and planning a church. You know, I grew up in Southern California. That's where I got saved. Years and years of family and friends. And yet God had put it on our heart that we had to leave California. That if God was going to use us, he made it clear to us that we needed to go somewhere where there wasn't a Calvary Chapel type ministry. That was crystal clear. We would have to leave our family. My mom and dad, my niece, my nephew, my friends, my, my wife has a much larger family that we would have to pick up and leave. And I didn't know where, but for us it was about a thousand miles just to pick up. We got to go. And people would ask us, what are you going to? I don't know. All I know is I got a job. And this city, God has spoken this city into our hearts. He wants us there. He wants us there so much that he moved us in just a couple months. It was that quick. No time to think about it. Just do it. All right. And that heart, you see, here's the thing. The reason I share that with you is just this. It's been 14 years since I moved. I hope that my, I haven't changed my mind about obeying God when he tells me to do something hard or difficult or costly. The Bible says that following Jesus is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of sacrifice because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and then you can talk about following him. That's this group of people. They left everything for nothing with the hopes of everything in the Lord. For them, it was a physical move to a physical city that was just wiped out and overrun by the enemies of God. So when it says in verse 15 that the temple was completed, that's huge. That's huge. It's humongous. They finally finished. This is the completion of the work where you'll remember in Zechariah chapter 4, Zerubbabel also came back about the time of Ezra. And you guys that, are, you guys that, that know Zechariah, you know Zechariah chapter 4, it's, it, as soon as I start saying it, I, I don't know about you, but I'm getting older. Are you guys getting older? I'm not going to, I'm not going to show hands, but, and I'm not going to like, I'm just not even going to, let's just move on. So here's what's happening though. I'll remember verses, but I'll forget the address. Does that happen to anybody? So I got a lot of verses in my head bouncing around and I forget where they are. But when I start reading this one, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He tells Zerubbabel, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That's what they're facing. He, they, Zerubbabel was told that when he's looking at the rubble of the city and thinking, this ain't going to happen. What did I come back for? This is crazy. This is, there's no way we can do this. Exactly. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's, this is what's happening. That's, this is the, that's verse 15. God's word is true. Zerubbabel, guess what, bro? It wasn't your power, and it wasn't your might, it wasn't your building skills. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. God is so faithful. After 20 years of the return of this group, after 16 years of idleness, after much heartache and much hardship and much heaviness 
It's done. Now, I want you to see something. Turn over, hold your place in Ezra. Go over to Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8. Now, you know, normally they give me a, a letter that says how long I can teach, so I didn't get that letter this time. <clears throat> I, I, if we finish at 11.59, it's technically till, still Saturday. <clears throat> Romans 8.38, check this out. If you ever wonder what it looks like, if you're looking for, you know, pictures of what the Bible looks like, the Bible is the best illustration of the Bible, and the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And when we read Romans 8.38, it says... For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you've ever wondered what that looks like, Ezra 6 is a small picture of that. Through all the hardship and everything that they went through, all the difficulty, all the laziness. You know how bad this group was? This group of people were so lazy and selfish. I mean, even after leaving everything, coming back to hardship, that they took the wood that was given to them as a gift. And they started to use it. Well, they kind of pretended like they were in the 70s. And they used it for paneling in their houses. <laughs> That's what it says. God sent Haggai and said, what are you guys doing? He came to rebuke them and said, you guys are using the wood to panel your own houses. Get back to work. You're not here to build your houses before you're to build the temple. And that's a different Bible study altogether. God is so gracious with them. Even though they stole from him. He was so gracious. Nothing separated them from the love of God. And let me give you, if you're taking notes, let me give you a few things that we read by, read, read by quickly. But if you're in a, one of those spots right now, or you, if you're not in one of those spots, you will be very soon. Let me give you three things to hold on to. What do you do? How, how do you respond when it's difficult, when your laziness just catches up with you, or, or your flesh, or whatever it might be? Let me give you three things. Go back to Ezra. There's three things here that you've got to notice. Number one. They diligently did. They diligently did. Do you see that back in verse 13? They diligently did. They diligently did. In tough times, you got to keep doing, right? Because God is in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Keep doing. They diligently did. They diligently did. That was, it, it's very clear in the English here. They diligently did. When the action, the, the action that they took was what they were told to do, they diligently did. You know, if you come to Bible study here on Wednesdays, you come Saturdays, uh, maybe a service service. When you're taught the Bible so much, there is a tendency to stop diligently doing what you hear. There's a tendency, not just for us. It was that way in James' day when he said, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. Get back to diligently doing. Do. Do. Make sure that you, when the, 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 the story of your life is read, it's, he diligently did. Rough times, surrounded by difficulties, but he diligently did. Secondly, notice, it says in verse 14, the elders of the Jews built, they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. So here's number two. They prospered from the prophets. Now you've got to understand, the prophets came with, with, a, with a rebuke. Haggai was one of those guys, you know, that just black and white guy. Boom, this is it. 
you guys are lazy, get back to work. And it's a real quick book. You read it, you can read it tonight before you go to bed. Haggai is very short. Zechariah, on the other hand, you know, he walked along from some story. He said the same thing a different way because we receive differently, and I thank that. So whether you are the kind of person that's black and white, this is the way it is, or you're the kind of person that needs a story to be told, hey, God is gonna meet you right where you're at, diligently do, and prosper from what you hear. They prospered. They could have blew these prophets off. They could have done what happened to Jeremiah and made his life miserable. They could have really done something with Haggai and Zechariah, but they didn't. They received. Their greed and their laziness and their selfishness required only one response from God, and that was a strong rebuke. You know, in Proverbs chapter 27, in verse 5, it says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And then it says something, you know, we read so many things in the Bible like, I wonder if you really believe it or not. Because the very next verse says, the faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, who wants to be wounded? And by a friend. But somebody's got to tell you the truth. And have enough courage to be able to say, this is what the word of God says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. How about this one? Tough one. Job chapter 5 verse 17. Again, I'll just read them to you for the sake of time. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Even though in Hebrews it says, you know, the discipline of God or the chastening of God is not pleasurable. And yet at the same time, we're happy because we have a God that loves us enough to tell us the truth. They prospered from the prophets. You know, so many people don't open their Bible during the week because it's a painful process for them. Oh, not because they can't understand it, but because they do understand it. (laughs) And they're like, oh man, I don't like that. I know, God doesn't like it either. They prospered. Not only did they diligently do, but the Bible says they prospered from the prophesying. I would encourage you just to get the full picture. Read Haggai and then take some time to read Zechariah and you'll understand what they prospered from. It was some hard words. Very difficult. Thirdly, we see in the midst of their difficulty that they carefully completed. That's what we see in verse 15. They finished. They finished the work. There was attention paid to the commands of God in how they did the work. And in the work, it was in the work, it was and is important to do the work of God the way that God intended. When you are serving God and when I'm serving God, it's very important for us to carefully complete the will of God. We're not to say, well, I understand what God wants and I'll just do it my way. No, we need to be careful. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says, be careful to observe them. Fifteen times this phrase, be careful, is used in the Old Testament. Be careful to observe. Be careful to observe. Be careful to observe. It's not just, to, it's not just enough to do something any way we want and then say with a couple verses, well, this is what God wants. Again, in, first Sam, or in 2 Samuel chapter 6, remember they had attempted to bring the ark of God back. They were so, David was so excited about getting the ark of God back that, that he had him build a cart and we're going to roll it with the cart. And, and, and as they're going along with the cart, it started to tip. And what happened? The, the brother went out to touch it. Huh. David, that's not how you transport the ark. And that brother died for touching the ark because it's forbidden to touch the holy ark of God. 
Sometimes we think that our ways are better than God's ways and they're not. God's work is to be done God's way. That's how the temple was completed. Back in Ezra now, notice verse 16. Then the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. They offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God. 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. You see the pattern? Carefully, carefully. What does the Bible say? That's what we do. What does the Bible say? That's what we do. What does the Bible say? That's what we do. What does the Bible say? That's what we do. What do we do? What the Bible says. Very carefully. They were careful. Even as it says, as it is written in the book of Moses, they even celebrated the right way. They rejoiced. The ruins are no more. Now, they have to be very careful here because while the ruins of the temple building itself proper are no more, the walls of the city, which were the speaking of the protection of the city, were still messed up. There weren't many houses rebuilt. There were still weeds growing because they had one focus under Ezra. Ezra brought back the people to build the temple. Nehemiah will be coming back with another group of people to rebuild the walls and repopulate the city. So they were very focused on what their responsibility was. Temple, we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to re... It was very specific. Worship needed to come back. The songs of praise needed to come back to the city. I wonder if that's your house. I wonder if the temple then becomes a picture of your home. where You need to rebuild your home, folks, so that there's worship once again. Where the songs of sacrifice and joy in your home, in your home... How about if we take it even closer and say, wait a minute, the Bible speaks of us, if we want to take pictures here, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, what if it's joy and rejoicing to come back to your temple, to who you are? It starts with you. Ah, Diligently doing, carefully completing, prospering from the prophecies and the word of God. Then verse 19, the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover. That's right. Good job, guys on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. They kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This was on their hearts when they packed up their belongings and went home. They could see a day that they would celebrate the Passover in the temple in Jerusalem. They could see a day and now finally By faith, they arrived at the day. This is really happening. This is something that hadn't happened for 70 plus years, almost 90 years it hadn't happened. How long? You know where that that scripture, I was thinking of that scripture as I was reviewing my notes back there, it's just absorbing the worship. Wasn't sweet, the worship tonight? Just like, oh. And I love the piano. It takes me back to my new believing days, new believer days where our worship leader, all he used was the piano. He's just like, oh, so sweet. 
And as I was sitting back there listening and humming and flipping through my notes, just getting ready, I was thinking, there's that verse that says, and I think it's in Galatians, it says, uh, don't grow weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if what? You don't lose heart. So can I ask you, how long will it take for you to lose heart? How long? To endure what you're doing right now, to go through what you're going through right now, to wait. Is it going to be a year? Is that, is that what you've kind of given God? Oh, it's a year. I won't lose heart, Lord. One year. 365. But on 366, I'm losing heart. Is it two years? Is it five years? Is it 15 years? Or like the children of Israel here, is it 20 years? Is it 25 years? Is it 50 years? Is it a lifetime? At what point have you said in your mind, well, I'm not going to lose heart up until this point, up until this point, up until this point. But you see, what God has begun in you, he'll what? Complete it in you. Psalm 138, he will perfect that which concerns me. And it just seems like, Lord, help us. If you're going to do work in us, Lord, let it be a work that we don't lose heart. Because you say it's going to reap. We're going to reap if we don't lose heart. Well, what's going to happen if we don't? If we do lose heart, we're going to miss the harvest. It's going to right pass us by. You know, it sounds like a farmer, right? Paul uses the picture of a farmer, and I think it's a good one. You know, a farmer doesn't go out and plant corn. Like right now, let's say it's perfect time to plant corn, the wonderful winters of Colorado. How many of you like snow? Okay, you just... How many of you don't like snow? I like, I like you. We're like-minded. Let's just say it is planting time, and we were farmers. If we planted a seed tonight, you're not going to wake up in the morning looking for a crop. I hope not. You'd be a pretty bad farmer. It's like, where's my crop? Dude, it's going to take some time. You're going to have to go out and take care of that field. You're going to have to water it and fertilize it. You're gonna, you don't plant a seed one day and expect it to come up the next. Life is like that. Serving God is like that. There have been seeds planted in your life that God is developing and working through the circumstances of your life. And by faith, you need to hang on because from verses 19 to 22, this is what they saw when they left Babylon. They could see it by faith, by faith, by faith. And I'm sure there are times when they wanted to give up. And I'm sure when they, there are times when they lost the big picture. We know that from Ezra because they got lazy and started building their own house because the work was so hard. And I'm sure 16 years of idleness, I'm... I mean, I know me, and I think 16 years of idleness and, and not seeing the fulfillment of God would bum me out. I'd probably lose heart. I just need the Lord to get up, Ed. What, you don't, 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 16 years is nothing to me. 16 years, but God's faithfulness prevails even when things look bleak. Trust him, church, if you're in the middle of frustrating circumstances. Hold fast if you're in a place where it seems like there's no way out. Stay strong if you are feeling as if all is lost. And look to God 
because he's working behind the scenes, putting things in place, revealing things, hiding things, guiding even non-believers, even those that aren't following him yet. He's even using them to accomplish his will on the earth today. And one day there's this celebration that's going to come. And it may be that things were done years ago that you've long forgotten about, but God has used them to prepare you to bring you into a place where God's plan is fulfilled in his perfect timing. Worship with joy is yours by faith in him. Turn over one last scripture, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. I can't say like, these are my, this is my favorite psalm or that's my favorite psalm anymore because I've spent so much time in the psalms in this last year that I like most of them. And some of them are just jumping off the page. In Psalm 37, check this out. Just like let the Lord, let God speak to you today. It says, do not fret, verse 1, because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. And then this, and I jotted them all down. There's so many things here. Like by the time you get to verse 8, I I counted at least 13 things that he tells us to do. Verse 3, trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way, verse 5, to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Powerful. So Lord, we are looking to you today that we might see the fulfillment of your work in our lives like the children of Israel did in Ezra's day, like Paul did sitting in prison in chains, like many, many men and women in this room even now that have prospered because of your faithfulness, because you work in us to do and to will, to will and to do, I should say, God. And we want to publicly thank you Express our love and appreciation to you, God. You're, you're faithful even when we're faithless. Even when we're on the run, where can we go from your spirit? <laughs> and for a special group of people listening in, God, I pray that they would come to a saving knowledge in you, that they would say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying for me. And I want to live my life for you. And today, if that's you, and you would say, Ed, I do want to follow Jesus. I admit that I've sinned. You know, all this God talk is really hard for you to take, isn't it? Because there's a disconnect between you and God. But that disconnect can end in an instant. If today you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, this is what God says. He says, you shall be saved. And so I want to give you the opportunity. If that's you today, you'd say, Ed, I, I need to get my life right with God. I want to confess my sin to him and commit my life to him. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you, wherever you're at. That today would be the day that would be a life-changing day for you. God bless you, man.
God has spoken to you. That's come from God, not from man. God bless you. I'm so encouraged by your willingness to obey the prompting of God in your life. That today would be the day. Now standing doesn't save you or even if I had you walk up here that, or raise your hand. None of that saves. But let me tell you what it does. It gives you a memory mental picture of the day you stood or walked or, or outwardly committed. It gives you a hook, the Holy Spirit a hook to bring you back if you ever wander. But only God saves. And so is there anyone else before? I'd like to pray with you. Just stand to your feet. Don't, don't be embarrassed or worry about what people think. This is like between you and God. I see you in the back. God bless you. You know, and anywhere else that you might be. Yeah, I got him. Oh, right behind you. There's somebody right behind you, man. You're right. Look at what God's doing. I love it. So pray with me, right? Pray. God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me, and to rise again. And it's to a living God I commit my life tonight. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past. Deliver me from addiction and habitually bad decisions. I commit my life to you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.